My name is Caleb Dillon. I'm Phil Corman. And uh, War Council is a hobby-centered podcast for miniature enthusiasts. Uh, we talk about things that are related to hobbying, painting, um, sculpting, and converting, and whatever is on our mind this week. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about adding depth to your miniatures, and what we mean by that is how to um, turn your uh, flat, plastic, gray miniatures into something that shows depth and uh, layers of of high colors and low colors and shadows and all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, before we get into that, though, let's uh, sort of catch you up on what we've been working on the last couple weeks um, since our last podcast. Um, our web design for White Metal is still very much in progress, and uh, I did not fully appreciate just just how much work it was going to take to get through all this. I find myself spending hours working on pages that, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, may even, you know, not... Um, I wouldn't say not see the light of day, but like as an example, I've been working on like a trade and buyout program um, where people can trade in their models and send them back to us and we'll buy them out for a price. And it occurred to me, I was like, what if no one ever takes advantage of that? I've just spent like six or so hours of my life working <laughs> on this page for nothing. Um, so if you've never done a web page redesign, man, you know, it is, it is a nightmare. Um, uh, Phil, when you were doing your page for, uh, for Facebook, had you ever considered like picking up a template for doing your web design or... Did you just sort of like, are you just sort of satisfied now where, where Brushwork Minis is on Facebook? Because let me tell you, if you're thinking about going to web design, it is a pain. Yeah, it definitely took some playing around just to get the image to look right and what I wanted to, to present and sure. just a simple setup. And that's not even nearly as complicated as a website. So uh, there's, I mean, there are templates for websites, but a lot of them are kind of uh, it's We a use a template, yeah and, yeah. and the templates are great. Um, I think for commission painters like me, I'm not very technically minded. So for me, it took a really long time to sort of learn the back end of websites. Mm. Um, but if you are a commission painter out there, and we're going to talk about it a little bit this week, because um, if you are a commission painter, I definitely recommend getting a good web designer to help you out with your web redesign. Yeah. Um, speaking of commission painters, I did have a, a, a painting class last night at Event Horizon Games. And unlike the first two classes, we actually had people for once during this Ooh. class. Um, ironically, it was this local, uh, and he has his own painting commission service. His uh, name is Justin, and he owns a service called White Lightning Commissions. Um, not to be White confused. Lightning. I know. It's a catchy name. Um, so he's, a, he's a kind of a younger painter, and um, he, he came to me about a month ago for some advice, and he kind of... He just sort of dropped in on me one day, and we had talked a little bit over the phone, and he came in, and we were sort of talking shop, and he brought in a couple of miniatures for me to kind of look at and consult with him on. Um, and that was kind of my first sort of try mentoring, so that was kind of useful mm -hmm. for me to kind of learn. Uh, but he came in last night, and he brought in uh, a buddy of his um, who was also a painter. Um, but I was sort of, I don't know, you know, for me, I don't know if you're, I'm kind of, an, I'm not older, I'm 35. Mm -hmm. uh, but these these kids were like in their early 20s, so they were kind of millennially. Yeah. And the first 10 minutes of class, when we were sitting there talking, one of the one of the guys, not Jonathan, but the other guy, who I will not name for, for sake of argument, um, seemed kind of like he was a little, I don't know, despondent or a little spiteful. He didn't really want to be there. <laughs> okay. Like, and I don't know if it was because he, he didn't like the fact that I was teaching or if, yeah, I'm not entirely for sure, but he brought in some model and he was showing it to me. And I think that we got off to a bad start because he's like, I don't understand why people would call this tabletop. And I looked at this model he brought in, and it was 
it was either tabletop or, or a little bit below tabletop. It was not a great, not a great model. It was okay. He had some very good basic mastery of technique, but like I pointed out, like well, there's a chip on the this guy, and he was like, well, that's no, not a chip. It's just spray, spray paint, like a metallic paint. I was like. What, did you want this to be metallic? Like, because it's a robe. I don't mm-hmm. know. And he's like, I just didn't care. And I was like, well, if that's what you're saying, maybe this is not the right business for you. I mean, I don't want to go into a, a shoe store and someone, you know, it's been worn before and it's a dirty shoe. And they're like, well, we didn't care. <laughs> like, I don't fucking, yeah. you know, I don't know how they work for your business line. So after a few minutes of that, he finally kind of warmed up to the experience. And um, we sat there and we worked on blending for an hour and then we worked on some detail work for an hour and just kind of like, we just practiced. We didn't actually really paint minis so much as just like, we did have minis and we used them as a canvas, but we weren't trying to get a model done. We were just like, let's just work on blending for an hour. And we yeah. kind of broke it down and talk about, talked about the technique in a lot of detail and how that would work. So it was actually kind of a, a conducive class. And, mm-hmm. and by the end of class, I was just sort of giving some general advice to them. Um, have you ever had a situation where someone's came to you and they came to you for painting advice and you've you know, kind of been a Yoda-like presence in their life or you give them that, that kind of tip? Or, uh, I mean, for those people that know me and have seen my work, sometimes they ask. Um, but generally it was like closer friends. Um, yeah, not not too much advice, I guess, outside sure. of that. Just just with uh, like local gamers at the game store. Yeah, thing. and to be fair, outside of like you know the locals, I'm really not well known. Like my mm-hmm. site is okay, but like I you know it's not like I walk into a game store other than my local game store where people all know me. So it's not like I would walk into a convention. In fact, I had a teaching class at a convention one time, and I came into the class and I kind of had a foobar where I looked at the class and I. I don't know, they just didn't seem very warm and receptive. And so I went up to the front, but it ended up being more of a discussion and less of a class. Hmm. So it's just one of those things that not everyone, I guess, warms up to teaching very well. And I don't know if it's an age difference or just what, but, you know, like I go online and look for stuff on tutorials all the time. I'm, I just try to soak up knowledge. Um, and these, these guys just seemed a little bit, one of them was okay, but the other kid seemed a little more like, he, was, he wasn't very patient. And, uh, like, when I was trying to show him blending, he was really rushing through it. And I thought it was weird that you want to be a painter, but you're not patient. And that's sort of like, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really know where to say that. Say, if you're, not, if you're a mechanic and not mechanically inclined, it's like it doesn't really work. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of speechless. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Anyway, uh, not really meant to be a rant. More just meant to be an observation. So, um, so but the, the good side of things, the class did have people. So we're, we're getting somewhere. All right. All right, so let's move on to On the Painting Desk. This is the segment of the show where we talk about what we're currently working on. Uh, normally, I kick this off, but Phil, I'm going to let you kick this off this week. Okay. Um, so, a couple things from the last session. I'm still working on the Gut Rot Spume guy, the Nurgle oh, yeah. Lord. So, he's coming along pretty well. Um, something I've been building for a while. I'm starting my own Ultramarine Army. Oh, that's um, cool. And it's, it's been in the works building-wise for a while. I've been taking my time making it look nice and pretty. But um, Are you going I, traditional with that, or are you going to do a different color scheme? I'm doing, yeah, different, I think. Uh, something I've not seen before. I'm more inversing the colors from the blue, the traditional blue and white, to a white and blue. So okay. armor is pretty much all white, kind of like a white scars. Okay. Uh, but with blue... Um, Accents. So okay. eyes are blue, blue shoulder pads, right. uh, like the symbols, the ultramarine symbol is blue, and then doing like a metallic, uh, like a silver metal. Now, if the outlining. ultramarine symbol is blue, are you hand painting those, or are you going to like take no, the transfer? I'm actually, I guess, cheating. Okay. <laughs> Not really. It's a, um, 
the shoulder pad, you can buy Ultramarine upgrade kits now. Yeah. And they have like 10 Ultramarine shoulder pads with this symbol engraved on. Oh, the raised shoulder mm-hmm. pads. Yeah, yeah so we used those, those on a project recently. Oh, okay. Yeah, so well, they're really Ultramarine nice. Well, okay. They're, they're well done. So, yeah, I bought a few packs of those and I've been... Uh, been painting those up that way. I actually like that a lot because I actually hate transfers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless it's a really flat surface like a vehicle, like yeah. on a shoulder pad. When we I did an Ultramarine project a few weeks ago, and man, cutting out ten shoulder pads—they're not bad, but they don't quite go on right. The, yeah, because it's yeah. rounded and it's not. Right. There's no smooth. You're flat, large, yeah. flat object. Exactly. Yeah. And they, there's all sorts of ways to sort of help with that. Like you can trim, trim them out a little bit so they sit better. But it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And I even went so far as to varnish them like a couple times on the shoulder pad to try to make it work and it still just didn't stick. It didn't feel right. Um, okay. Well, that's very cool. Um, how big is your army right now? Well, uh, I think I've got about 30 regular Marines. I've got 10 Devastators and some vehicles and stuff. So, I mean, it's a pretty decent size. I'm trying sure. to get the, I forget what it's called. The Demi Force, I think is something like that. Demi oh company. yeah. Um, one of those, one of those detachments. Mm-hmm. Um, why, uh, just out of curiosity, white can be a really challenging color. Yeah. So why did you go with white for a traditionally blue army? Well, I was thinking about going with originally the, uh, Sons of Gilliman. That's an actual chapter where it's half blue, half white. Um, that's what I was originally like, the, the half, those mm-hmm. are a pain too. Yeah. They're Another hard probably <laughs> even more of a yeah. pain. So I actually just wanted to stick with something a little bit more unique and just went straight white. Sure. Um, I don't, I think, I mean, they look nice. I like the color. I like the white a lot. And I think it just, it's a unique way to approach it. Sure. Um, and as a whole, I think they'll look fantastic. So, um, you know, I've never had a commission request for one of those quartered color schemes. Like I think Howling Griffins is, is a quartered or a quartered or half color scheme. So it's okay. like half orange, half something else. Um, I don't even know how I would quote that. I guess I would have to sort of come up with a numeric for that. Like, It'd be, it's tough, yeah. I've tried doing it with a few of them, and it... Because uh, you'd almost have to sort of paint it one way and then mask off half of it and paint mm-hmm. it the other way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that's cool. Um, anything else on your painting desk at the moment? Uh, just the Stormcast still. Stormcast Eternals. And, we just uh, got in these... Um, the RPG figures we were excited about last time finally came in. Yeah. So those are in now. And this is kind of a great project because these are all gold. So this mm-hmm. is our new high-level... Not our highest, but our our practical highest. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be tacking on all of those for us. I'm really excited about that. Um, do you uh, do you do you ever? I guess I know you play Infinity. I know you play 40k. Have you ever done any sort of role playing games? So you have access to those sort of figures. I, mean, uh, I know you've got Kingdom Death, but that's yeah. I, I'd argue that's a non traditional role playing game. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, Kingdom Death would be the closest thing to that, sure. so this would be my, I guess it's not my first time, because I did do a few miniatures for you when I first started, sort of as a oh, test, well, test models, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, for those um, of you who, who don't know, and I don't really talk about this much, when I bring in new painters, I give them like five models as a test, and so we, I sort of send you off with them and see how fast you do them and how well you do them. Most people spend a couple weeks, some guy, one guy spent, one guy never gave them back to me, and uh, you were like the next day. Like, you were like, I'm done. Yeah, it was over the weekend. Yeah, it was really fast. Uh, Okay. Um, On my desk right now, I'm still very much in the middle of these giant commissions. Um, Unfortunately, my Wood Elf diorama has been put off a lot, but I managed to get some time on that this week. Um, So that's coming along, and that's, I think it's when it's done, it's going to be a lot of fun, but right now it's overwhelming, because one of the parts of the diorama the guy wanted was he wanted all these little fairies, so there's like 30 of these little fuckers. And they're all, like, tiny. They're all about, like, 10 millimeters tall. 
And because I have to glue them onto the diorama, I didn't want to temporarily base them on bases. So I put them on like a ruler and painting them on the ruler is really hard. <laughs> so it's just, it's just kind of, yeah. I, I didn't really know what I was signing up for when I took on this project. It's a good project, but it's a lot of work. Um, the fungus nets are coming along well. Those will be done in a couple weeks. And um, I have formally declared that I'm going to have a Tau day in the next couple weeks where we're going to finally get this Tau project done because now the Tau are coming <laughs> out. They are back. And that uh, brings us into news and rumors. Uh, this is the segment of the show where we talk about what's coming up. And what's coming up is Tau. Oh, yes. There's a lot of stuff coming up for them. What are, what are you most excited for in the new releases? I'm actually excited for the new uh, rumor Firewars. I guess they're called I saw a picture Breachers of and Strikers, yeah. now, I think. Something like that. So, so what makes these guys new? Because I saw a picture, but I couldn't pick out a lot of differences. I think they're... Well, the helmets look different. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. There's, I think they have some more unique helmets. I couldn't tell. The pictures also show a lot of their guns shorter. Yeah. yeah and like they didn't have the long rifles. Like, I don't know yeah. if that's just like an option, because the Pathfinders have that too. Sure. You can do like the rail gun type... Like or pulse, right? I don't know what they're called. They have a um, they have a shorter gun, but it's a rarer gun. And by mm -hmm. rare, I mean the sprues doesn't have enough to support all of the yeah. triggers. So maybe that's the difference because it's striker and the breach or so or something like that. So I think that the weapon choices may set yeah. them apart. I don't know. Do you but think it's going to be good. a uh, Do you think it's going to be a new sprue? Like it's going to be a remold, or do you think it's going to be just an additional sprue in box? Like maybe new heads, new guns. Yeah, because the uh, I mean the armor, the basic legs, and all that all looks that looks same. similar. So they may really like get them more dynamic. But um, the uh, that's cool. That, the ghost kill looks really nice too. I'm excited about that with the storm shirts. That actually show the interior on yeah. some of them. You can see the the pilots. And that's really cool. I, the dual pilot thing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of neat. I like that it's almost like a command center mm -hmm. in front, um, which seems to be a terrible place to be in the middle of a battle. Because <laughs> you can imagine if it's like an anime figure, this guy's leaping around and stuff. But he's more of like a weapons platform. So maybe he's kind of set Right, set with the storm surge, yeah. Yeah. Um, the ghost keel is supposed to be monstrous creature size. So I'm guessing it's kind of like... Demon Prince size, Carnifex size. Yeah, larger than the XB88, I'm assuming. Right. So, um, so that puts it on side on scale with like the new broadside, which is which is about the same size as the Carnifex. So it's a little smaller. Mm -hmm. um, so this is actually a pretty a beefy model. I'm not for sure what his role is. Like he's not an HQ. Um, I don't know if he's like an elite or a heavy. Like I didn't. Yeah, I, I think he's supposed to be a fast attack. Okay. If I'm understanding, because he's his purpose is to. Kind of jump close by, do some damage, and then get away. Oh, okay. So he's like got a hit and run you. Yeah, so he's got flamers. I don't know if those are the ones you want to go with. I think he can also be carrying like some longer range weapons, so he can kind of jump out of cover with his drones, keeping him at like a higher cover uh, save. Okay. Because he gets stealth and shroud and all these things. So it's more like a jump in, shoot, jump out, hit and run. You mentioned the drones, and it reminded me that for a long time I forgot to when I did towel quotes, I forgot about the drones. So one time I did an estimate for a guy, and then like 50 drones came in, and I was like, oh shit, I forgot about yeah. these guys. Um, so now I've, I've changed our, our levels, or not our levels, but our quote process, where we also charge, you know, for like cohorts, I guess you might call them, mm -hmm. and we also charge for like crew, because every time you get like a Dark Eldar Raider, and there's like six freaking <laughs> guys on off the edges, and yeah, and it just doesn't like, you're not going to paint them on the side, it's just a real pain. Um, okay. Well, that takes us through news and rumors. Um, to be honest with you, I don't think there was a lot. Like, we kind of chatted about this. There's not really a lot on the horizon that I was... I mean, there's stuff, no, it's but... It's like little games. Like, yeah. I saw stuff for the Halo game, I think, coming out soon. Sure. And just some new releases there, but nothing... What scale is that? I was, I was talking to a guy about that last night, and I didn't know the scale. 
It looks similar to like old school Battlefleet Gothic. Okay. It's I guess so I don't even know what you call that. Scale or yeah. Like or one one eighty two scale. Um, that's interesting. Okay. So it's more like I, we painted up. I painted up a game a few months ago that was called Firestorm Armada for Planets Planetfall. Um, uh, anyway, it's like a tiny game. It's like one eighty one eighty two scale. So it's like. They have a lot of vehicles on there that remind me of Halo, but they're teeny tiny. They're not battlefield gothic size. They're more like closer to epic size, like the okay. epic. Um, and I kind of thought that this might be that, like it might be closer to that scale. Yeah, um, should be a little bigger. The yeah. at least the Halo is. Okay. Um, cool. Well, I'm excited to see that. And uh, if you're a video gamer, I know Halo Five's coming out. Yeah. I guess they kind of timed that together, maybe. I'm not um, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of video games coming out for 40k and Warhammer in the near future. Yeah, there we are. Should, we should talk about that at some point. Definitely, that should be on our news and rumors. But I saw something the other day, and it was like a, an it wasn't an Inquisitor game, but it was a first person RPG for Warhammer. I forget what it was called, and it was like a small party. It was kind of like their version of like I don't know, Forgotten Realms, whatever that game is, Elder Scrolls, or okay. Uh, well, they have Warhammer Online, which was like an old. They do, know. but it wasn't an RPG. I don't think. I think oh, it was okay. like a, if it was, it was like a, an MMORPG. Okay. This is like yeah. a traditional RPG, like for a console, I think. Hmm. So you you command a party of like four guys, or four of your friends can play together. Okay. Yeah, I think I have actually seen that advertised. I think you can still do raids. I'm not like. I'm not a big World of Warcraft guy, mm-hmm. so I don't love the. They someone told me what the position of it is one time. It's like when you're, when you're not in first person, you're in this like third person over looking down mm-hmm. thing. I feel very distant from my character when I play that, so it's it's not my favorite. Like I'm playing um, Dragon Age, um, the third one right now, and it's like that. I don't know if you've ever played. It doesn't matter. I know uh, you're talking about that. I've played MMOs before like that. Yeah, so. but I just I don't like how I feel so far away from the action. And I think their idea is that you feel like the, the explosions are bigger and all that sort of stuff. You can see more of the mm-hmm. field, but it's like not... an epic scale. Again. Yeah, but I feel distant. I don't really love it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to take a brief break for uh, sponsors. Speaking of which, if you are interested in being a sponsor for the show, um, check with us in the show notes. You can email us at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com, and um, we just basically take your... Take whatever you want to do, and we can either broadcast a commercial for you, we can make it ourselves here in the studio, or you can send us a commercial as an MP3 or a WAV file, and we will um, absolutely put it up on the podcast. The podcast is bi-monthly, so it's twice a month, um, and you will reach an audience of, oh, that does remind me, actually. Not, it's more than two. Uh, I finally got some analytics for the podcast, and it looks like we're, we're getting about 200 clicks a month or, or a podcast oh, or so. Awesome. Um, and about 100 of those are actually downloading. So half okay. of the people click on it for a few minutes, get bored, and leave. And then the other half actually download it and take it with them. I don't know if they listen to it, but that's way more than the three or four I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Thanks, guys. Um, All right, so we're going to take a brief break, and then we'll be right back after this. Hey, guys, it's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to like at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has unlimited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're like 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people could be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial. Like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. 
Email us at info at for more information. And until you do, put your manies where your mouth is. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, hope you enjoyed that brief, useless sponsor break. And now we're going to jump into the heart of the show. Um, every week we try to tackle some sort of miniature painting or hobby technique. Uh, and this week we're going to be tackling adding depth to your miniatures. Um, Philip, when I say adding depth to your miniatures, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Uh, first thing would be shadow. Okay. How to, That's a good yeah, I, I would think depth, you know, I mean, depth, shadow, I mean, it's kind of hand in hand, sure. they kind of come together, but yeah, how to, um, how to properly, I guess. I don't think uh, people think about shadow a lot because they kind of assume if you wash the miniature down, the darker colors go into the shadow and, or they go into the recesses, which mm-hmm. becomes the shadow by default. So I think far more people are interested in highlighting than shadowing. And in fact, I actually don't even, I never even hear shadowing as a term. Uh, Reaper makes a whole line yeah. of color called shadows, like bone shadows and cloth shadows and all this other stuff, skin shadow. And uh, I never see any tutorials on it or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably going back to, I think the biggest uh, contributor to that would be Games Workshop. Sure. They don't really show shadow. Every, you have the same level of color no matter what angle right. you're looking at. And that's just... Something that's been ingrained into so many painters, I don't think they consider that much anymore. Yeah, the guys I was talking to last night, when I asked them what they, how they learned how to paint, they were like, well, we started, everyone, you know, they starts by, they get into the hobby through GW, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, I never meet anyone who's just like, well, I got into the hobby through, you know, I don't know, like freaking D&D or whatever. It's always yeah. like, it's always like a big thing like that. So that you're right, they, they paint, they, they think that the GW way is the only way to paint. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, for sure. <laughs> um... So when you work, first off, do you work shadows into your models, or is it just kind of one of those things that it's like, it's a good idea, but in practice it's difficult? I almost always try to, yeah. So one, um, I, I like to start with airbrush a lot, sure. and I always start usually with the shadow color um, and then revo- revert to like a zenithal highlight. Sure. So, yeah, building up the shadow uh, with other colors and thinner layers. So let's, let's break that down for a second. Let's say that let's use your ultramarines as an example. Mm-hmm. Let's not; they're white. Let's use a traditional. <laughs> well, white might be good. Um, okay, well, that's true. So if you were going to shadow those guys, how would you shadow them? So with the ultramarines I was doing, I started with a dark gray. Like uh, I actually used GW color, so I used a Mechanicus gray, um, and then I slowly just went to Minestrano gray, which is a lighter gray, sure. and then a white. Um, not true white because I use that as a final highlight. Like so, you, so you built this up like layering from your base coat, mm-hmm. and then the final highlight or the zenithal highlight or whatever it was was your white. So at this point, in theory, those darker colors are in the recesses. Exactly. Okay. So unlike an ink where you're basically washing it and it's coalescing, this is actually like it's closer to like a layering effect, building up the shadow exactly. yeah. versus like drowning the shadow in like one color. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever find, and I don't, I don't know if this is true or not because I, I haven't done this much, but um, my theory is that if you were to wash multiple colors into recesses, you get different layers of color. So, for example, let's, let's use that as an example. Let's use your white guy as an example. Uh, if we were to wash, let's say, black, well, black's terrible. If we were to wash, let's say, like a brown wash in there and then, a, uh, let's say, a, um, I don't know, a druchy violet in there. In theory, once the solvent evaporates, you've got brown pigment you've got purple pigment so you have color in the shadow but do you feel like that would be as profound as let's say airbrushing the color into the shadow where it's a layered effect versus like i don't know kind of a a dumping your color in there effect it's hard i mean 
the thing I problem I have with doing with washes it's it's very difficult to control that. Yeah, it's it's very easy for it to accumulate in certain areas that you don't want it to, right. and then you try to take that out, and you're really not achieving the effect that you like. Sure. Um, washes are great, I think, when it comes to shadowing in organic, like a monster or something yeah. with flesh tones. With armor, it's very hard to use. I do try to do it a little bit here and there, like maybe in the lining um, or like the rec- very fine recesses, but not on like a solid plate of armor. I think it also depends on the size of the model. On a bigger figure, mm-hmm. you've got more canvas to work in. Yeah. So let's suppose like um, you have like a dragon or something like that that stands like, I don't know, eight inches tall, and his head is positioned in such a way that you know, you've got this crook of his neck where there would be natural shadow there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a natural place for you to work in shadow, and it's a big enough palette that you can actually show it. Right. Whereas if I were to do it on, let's say, an RPG figure, it gets kind of lost. It's such a small Very canvas to work yeah. in. Um, okay. So I guess I would, would we say that we would distinguish shadowing from washing and that shadowing is more of a layered effect as opposed to washing where you lose some control there? Like, I think that's a pretty good way to define it. Yeah, it's, it's, there's definitely some give and take. With washing, if you want to use it as a shadowing technique, you have to take your time, actually. I sure. think too much of, too often it's shown as just a rush thing. You yeah. can just kind of slop it on there, and then it does the job for you. It's sure. not so much that way. Um, and something I've noticed, too, was uh, a lot of washes, if you're not careful, um, they actually kind of get really glossy. Yeah. Like a varnish over them if you do yeah. too thick. So, yeah, definitely... Something you need to take your time on. One of the things that uh, when I was talking to the guys last night at the class, like we were sort of, any time we would come up with a technique, I would ask them something very basic like, how do you define a glaze? Like if I was like, how do you, we started with something like, how do you define blending? And then they would be like, well, glazing. I'm like, well, you can't define a technique with another technique. How do you define glazing? And so we would sort of go in and really break it down. And it was interesting to hear their explanations for things because it was clear that they had heard the terms passed around, but they hadn't really thought about it. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I turn on my car, but I don't really know how it works. Like, I know it's combustion. <laughs> I know the engine, like, fires the gas, and somehow that turns into whatever. You know, but, and see how quickly I, like, vague, vague mm-hmm. that out. Like, I don't know. Um, but it wasn't, with painting, it's one of those things that after you've done it enough, you sort of have some time to really think about how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, and glazing is one of those things, like you said, it's kind of an, I wouldn't say that's enamel, but it's like a varnish almost. Um... So to sort of go back to lining for a second, because you mentioned that a second ago, like working shadows in the lining, how would you say lining is a different technique than washing? For sure. Um, And a lot of people don't really practice lining, and probably because it's hard. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit about that, because we didn't really go into that much last, last time. And I feel like lining is a really important technique for showing depth, because the basic idea, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the basic idea of lining is to separate, uh, is to... I don't even know how to say it, but to separate areas on a model. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say a shoulder pad, and you let's say you painted the shoulder pad red. Well, you can wash it, but it's all going to get kind of dingy and dirty depending on the way it dries. So by lining, I'm just sort of washing just the edges of the pad, specifically the grooves of the pad. Mm-hmm. So it's settling down there. It's like a wash in a lot of ways, but unlike a wash, I'm not trying to slop it on everywhere. You know, So I don't know in terms of like consistency what makes it different. I know in terms of application what makes it different. Yeah. Um, do you have any, like, have you ever tried? Because I've got a couple bottles of the actual, like, brown line, black line, but I actually can't tell much difference between it and a wash in terms of consistency. Um, it's just, I think that it was designed more for the app. Maybe the binder is stronger, so that way it stays where you want it mm-hmm. more, perhaps. 
Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, I use I actually use washes as lining. Sure. So, I mean, it just depends on how strong you want that color um, to be separated, I yeah. guess. So, if uh, the washes are great if you want a gentle lining. Yeah. Um, if you want something that's a little bit more stark, you know, go with something like an actual paint and just sure. do it yeah, very carefully. But I, I mean, a good example of this might be like if you're painting up like a knight in armor and he's got rivets on his... Well, actually, let's use orcs because orcs, when I think of rivets, I immediately think of orcs. So um, the, the Dread Mob project we did a few weeks ago, these guys are basically, their base color was yellow because mm -hmm. they're bad moods, but they had hundreds of rivets on them. And now we basically just applied a wash because it was a tabletop project and we were trying to get it out the door. But, you know, if you had wanted to, you could have just taken like, you know, like a, a, a brush laid, loaded up with like just a black wash and just hit every single one of those rivets individually one by one. Mm -hmm. And that would have been a really good example, I think, of a lining technique where you're really just trying to get the line around the rivet. You're not trying to wash the plate down. You're trying to wash that particular area. So it's a controlled. Yeah. It's, it's, it's again, it comes back to control. Um, so black lining and brown lining are pretty, pretty common. Do you ever see any other types of lining? Anything like that's kind of out there? It does kind of get muddy with washes. They're kind of like sisters, I guess you might say. I think a cool one that I see a lot, like Necron may be a good example of this where the lining in the, between the pa armor panels and things sure. is a, usually like a bright cut, like an orange or a green or yeah. something. And that gives it a very alien effect. So yeah. it can be really cool. And I think you actually... I had a technique that you discover where um, you like using maybe it was like an oils or something yeah, that um, flowed through that. I actually found out about it through the guy we're going to do the tutorial on tonight um, on Schnauzer Face Minis. He does an oil wash technique, mm -hmm. and what he does is he takes he takes oil paint like like an actual paint in a tube, um, like if I was a Van Gogh that kind of paint, <laughs> and he takes it and he and he waters it. He doesn't water it down. He thins it down with mineral spirits, which is a oil mm -hmm. based solvent. Uh, and he basically uses it, and he thins it to the consistency where if you were to touch it to a paper towel, it immediately gets absorbed by the paper towel, and that's how mm -hmm. he knows. And actually, I put a linked, a linked, I put a link to that in our notes here today for the oil wash, and um, it's great because it just mm -hmm. basically runs, it, it runs like like just through the cracks. It's incredible. And uh, if you, you know, unlike a wash, what kind of goes everywhere, this stuff looks for the path of least resistance. Um, and so on that note, I would also say, like, I sat and varnished the model before I do this because that really helps the wash run through the cracks easier. Uh -huh. it, it makes a smoother surface, less surface tension. Um, I did that also with Nec the Necron project. I did that with some green, and that looked really good. Um, but on the towel project we're doing now, I'm doing it with white, and they oh. make a white oil paint, so it looks like kind of a glowy effect. And I think it looks actually nice. pretty good. And you find the color stays consistent, right? Yeah, one of the nice things about oils is that the pigment is really strong. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, even if you wash water it down, it stays pretty pretty crisp. Now, I will go back and retouch it sometimes. And by retouch it, I just mean I do it again. Like okay. I'm trying to get more pigment into the crack. Um, you know, it's like anything. If you're not satisfied the first time, go back over it. Yeah. Um, you know, work it until you're, until you're satisfied with it. Um, we provided like a dozen links for different sorts of washes in, this, in the show notes here. I think the bottom line is there's no one way to do a wash. There's plenty <laughs> of different ways. You can do them with watercolors. You can do them with, you know, uh, with oils. You can do them with, with floor wax. We got a link to the magic wash wax, which you're not, you're not wicked familiar with. I was surprised no, you haven't heard of that. No. I have, yeah, completely before my time, I guess, or I don't know. I just never. 
I think one of the reasons people didn't like it was that they felt like they were taking a floor product like floor wax and they were putting it on their nice models. But people don't think about the fact that floor wax is basically just an acrylic binder. I mean, it leaves that enamel glossy finish because it, it basically is varnish yeah. at the end of the day. So it's not altogether different from the binder that you have in your you know, paint. Like the stickiness, the tackiness of binder, it's the same. You know? mm -hmm. So it's like I don't... While I don't necessarily recommend this, I have seen too many great examples of it in action to, to disavow it. Like, it does work if you're, if you're good with it. Okay. Um, before we get uh, out of this, let's talk about highlighting just a little bit. Um, would you, now, we touched on highlighting a little bit last week, but I wanted to sort of talk about a different technique, which is called grayscale. Uh, have you ever heard or seen this, this technique? It's kind of like the opposite of guide coating, which I hadn't, which I, I've mentioned in the show notes, but I didn't actually go through that. Um, so guide coating is basically where you take a model and you wash it down with a color in the beginning just to see the details. Have you ever been painting a model and you mm -hmm. get through like halfway through yeah. it and you're like, oh shit, I didn't see this this thing on this guy? Um, that happens to me all the time. Yeah, definitely. So. And I think part of the, the my process kind of helps to figure that out by starting with a darker color and then airbrushing some of that zenithal highlighting yeah. that helps to define that. Sure. Um, and, but yes, yeah, so a wash always is. I sometimes just wash stuff just to yeah. <laughs> just to pick out the details yeah. and then go back and clean exactly. up. And so. then and it, there is a technical name for it. Like painters have been doing it long enough that they called it a guide coat. They actually came up with a term for it. Um, on so, the other now on the on the highlighting side of that coin. I came across this technique, and I don't know if it's a true technique or I'm kind of making it up, but um, I saw this guy, and what he did was he base-coated his model. He did it with, like, a black primer. And then he highlighted it with a zenithal highlight with, like, a gray, and then he did a final highlight of white. So you've got black, gray, and white, and it creates true highlights. And then he washed it, or he painted it very thinly with, like, a tint or a candy. And so the result of that was... The whites came out really bright, hues red in this case, came mm -hmm. out really bright red. The gray areas came out a, a duller red, and then the shadows came out a very dark, deep crimson. And I was like, this is the fastest way to get a highlight and a shadow I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Now, the problem is it's kind of one trick. It's like, it's okay, but it, it's hardly like an advanced technique. It's more like a cheating technique. It's actually something I've, uh, that's... I've seen done in traditional painting. Yeah. Like, that's how uh, one of my teachers tried to teach it, uh, taught us how to paint. That's was cool. paint in black and white and then go over with color and it will nice. naturally highlight, which I find works really they, nice. What did they call that? Did they have a name for it? Or I don't even remember if he actually had a name. Yeah. He just showed us how to do it. But I find that works really nicely, too. Like, uh, I actually did that with my Infinity models yeah. on a few of them. I did it with more like a blue scale i guess sure. blue gray scale yeah. and then went over with a blue glaze lightly and just started building up that glaze right. leaving the whites bright and things sure. so it's really effective it's kind of easy in comparison to just trying to do it all you know dark blue build up to white figure that out type you know approach yeah so. that makes perfect sense it's, it's 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 nice to hear that an actual painter painter like in a class used that technique and mm -hmm. so i like it when i see that miniature techniques are borrowing from traditional painting techniques. Because yeah. it goes to say, not that the painting technique is more mainstream, but that painters are thinking outside the box. They're not just thinking in terms of the miniature. They're looking for how they can apply outside technique to their miniature work, which I think is awesome. 
Um, before we move on completely, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, coffee rings and tide marks. And without, I'm going to put a long description in the show notes. But the basic idea here is that when you wash your miniatures, be careful. Because if you thin it down too much, if you thin down your washes too much, then you're going to, it's going to basically leave these lines and rings on your model mm-hmm. um, where they, when the, when the water evaporates, when the solvent evaporates. And it just leaves behind the pigment in these weird I think tide mark is actually a great way to phrase it. Have you ever yeah. had that happen? Yeah, and yeah. it's frustrating because there's really nothing you can do to hide no, it. Not much. Um, I was doing some Eldar canopies about two years ago, and I was trying to do a really nice thin blend, and I just thinned it out too much, and I came back the next day, and there was just rings of color, and I was like, uh, oh, my God. So, you basically had to start over at that yeah, point. There's much. nothing you can do about it. Um, I, just, I hit it with another highlight, and then I ended up like, putting a transfer over it and I was just like I don't know that's going to have to be that yeah. um, but just be careful like think about the consistency of what's in your paint when you thin it down like if you thin it down with water for example you're really breaking apart the binder it's not it, it, water is not a binder no nor is it it is a solvent in that it dissolves but it's not a traditional it's not the best solvent out it there. won't keep consistency no. it, it won't that's a great way to put it it won't keep consistency so think about something like an, a traditional acrylic thinner like a flow aid mm-hmm. everybody every company makes a flow aid so yeah. find a flow aid that works for you um, and use that and that will help basically a flow aid has a nice binding quality in it and the solvents in it will thin out your paint without causing the pigments to disrupt too much so keep that in mind when you're washing down your models don't don't go overboard with it Okay, let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on to tutorial of the week. Um, so this is the segment where we talk about something that we have uh, seen online that sort of accents um, what, we, what we're talking about on the show this week. Um, you picked this one this week. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what, are we, what, what did we watch on the telly this week? So, so this one, uh, we mentioned the artist earlier, Schneiser Face Minis. Um, I actually don't know his actual name. I think it... I cannot. I just watched his video today. Yeah, Matthew? I looked for it, but I didn't see it like Matthew? on the YouTube channel. Maybe it's he introduces thing. himself at the front oh, of the video. Yeah, but I was yes. Uh, okay, well, I missed that unfortunately. But um, yeah, his uh, his video was on the troll. Andrew, his name's Andrew. And, okay, yeah. So Andrew, <laughs> um, he painted the Troll Blood Mountain King, um, and we we have the we'll have a link in the yeah in the YouTube thing, but um. This is a massive model, though. It's way. huge. It's yeah, like it's one of their gargantuan. It's colossal. Colossal. Yeah. That's what they call them. Yeah. So. Well, no, it's a gargantuan technically because colossals are vehicles. Okay. I think. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is it's a cool model. It's one yeah. of my favorite actually of the um, uh, of the I guess what is what's the line? The Troll Bloods. Troll Bloods. Yeah. yeah. By uh, so by War Machine and all that. So. What's cool about this guy is he's like he's like a, a troll that's like. I don't know, he's like a, a giant troll on, like, steroids, yeah. out of control. And then he's got these huge pieces of rock just mm-hmm. jutting out of his back. And if you look really closely, he's got smaller trolls coming out of his flesh. Yeah, I guess. Which I'm, is weird. I don't know how they, I guess they yeah. spawn from each other I somehow. I don't know enough or, about the lore to know yeah. how that works. But. but anyways, so Andrew does a fantastic job. He actually incorporates a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today, right. not just one simple technique. I mean, he goes... Right. He starts with the zenithal highlights. He also picks out certain areas that he wants to bring out a little more. Sure. So, like, underneath, I think, under his belly he has it's a little bit brighter. He actually used, like, four highlights. Mm-hmm. And his, his final highlight was true white. It was just yeah. pure white. 
yeah. which I thought was it was mind blowing to me. I was like, how dare you use pure white <laughs> on a on a blue figure? But it worked great. It does, yeah. And I think it also helps too that he tones it with other colors. So yes. he brings in a lot of washes. Yeah. Um, he brings in some of that lining. I think he actually uses brown lining he does. in some areas yeah. to and he black does. lining in the rock to help uh, bring in some shadow. Um, One of the things I like about him is that he absolutely works shadows. Definitely. Now on this model, it's a bigger model, so he has more of a, a canvas to work on. But he actually grinds down pigments uh, like raw pastels, mm-hmm. which is the foundation of, of, of the pigment. And um, he just grinds it down to like a dust, basically, and then he works it in with a with a, a brush, mm-hmm. and just the the, de- the the shadows on that thing are like red and purple yeah. and brown, and they almost look like like deep bruising, but they're they're great. They're really rich. Yeah, and that's um, a great way to like see how color can complementary colors can help. Uh, yeah, in the shadows. Exactly. So his blues he used purples and pinks right. to help accentuate those colors. So like, it was it's something I try to do, and yeah. I, I I really liked how he did that. I like that he used a lot of different tools. It wasn't simply just brush or um, right. paint. He used the pigments. Uh, he uses like he starts with oils. the airbrush, but then he quickly switches over. Whatever mm-hmm. he it's like it's like you know the tool. He sort of picks the tool for the job. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the nice thing about this, and um, something that we can, you know, goes back to the tips on technique that we mentioned earlier, having those different um, ways of working, like using oils or using different pigments, sets, different, there's different, different, yeah, you can go back and edit yourself, actually. Right. So he uses, uh, I think he used actual, was it oil paints, or he, what does he use for his metals? For his washes, he used oil paints. For his metals, he uses, um, he uses liquid gold. Yeah, and right. that's traditionally used traditionally like alcohol, silver. right? It's an alcohol based. So, thing. the theory is that you can just go back with just the pure alcohol and erase yeah, it, exactly, without damaging any of the acrylics. And he's very oils, clear that so. he, in the video he mentions several times that he lays down satin varnish between major mm-hmm. layers, so that when because if you go back with pure alcohol and rub it on it, you will damage the model. But okay. if by laying down a satin varnish, you've laid down a protective layer. Yeah. And so that way, like, I mean, you know, you'd have to really, I mean, I think you could probably touch it up a little bit, but why risk it? Like, right. throw down a satin varnish real quick and just be done with it. And then that way you can easily, like like you said, kind of erase it with the alcohol. So it works out really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I love about him is, well, first off, he I think you'll like that he cracks really bad jokes every video. <laughs> um, but he uses, he uses the time, once he's explained the technique, he uses the downtime to sort of chat about it. Like he, and this guy, I like him a lot. He doesn't upload videos very often. He's a teacher. He mentions that in the video. Mm-hmm. He's, he's pretty busy, I think, with teaching. But he uploaded like a Kador video, like just today, actually. Oh, right. um, and um, one of the things that he, he mentions in it is that he gets questions all the time about what airbrush he uses. I didn't realize this. He uses a .15 model needle. Really? It's half the size of yeah. my needle. It's insanely small. Um, but he mentions that like, he basically goes through why he chose the airbrush he uses, and maybe it's the right airbrush for you, but maybe it's not. And he kind of goes through why, how you should pick your airbrush. And he doesn't waste, you know, the time isn't wasted in a video. It's like you can sit there and watch the technique, but rather than sit there and watch him, like, paint metal for five minutes, he speeds up the video, and then he talks for a couple minutes. So for me, I was like, I'm, I'm getting, like, twice the amount of information, mm-hmm. uh, which I really liked. One thing I like, too, is he doesn't, he, I think he shows like quick little pictures of some of the paints he uses, but he, does. he doesn't necessarily like emphasize those colors. Like, I don't know. I think one of the things that as 
artist, and when you're watching these tutorials, you can get stuck on, well, what color was he using? Right. And yeah. he doesn't emphasize that so much. He just he just paints. And yeah. so, like, if... I think once you feel free to do that, and you don't feel free like you're bound to that specific color they use, it really does make painting a lot more enjoyable. Um, One of the things the guys last night were asking about in the class, that, and I get this question all the time, I don't know if you do, but people ask me all the time, what... Uh, paints do you use? Mm -hmm. And I tell them all the time, I'm a paint whore. Like, I have them all. <laughs> like, I like every paint range. And I, and I told them last night that I don't limit myself based on one company's palette. Like, GW has some good paint, mm -hmm. but so does Reaper. And P3, their paints use a liquid pigment, so the idea is that no matter how much you thin it, it never, like, thins out too much. You always have a really strong pigment. Um, and there are colors that are not represented in the G in the, in the, the Games Workshop line that are mm -hmm. represented in other lines. Yeah. Um, like, for example, they, they've discontinued certain colors. And even though they have approximations of it, they're not the same. No. Like, you need, you need different colors. Um, so I absolutely think that you should pick out different colors. And you're right. When he does a painting thing in his video, he'll say, like, I use dark red here or something like that. Yeah. Or, or he just, like you said, he shows the color, but then he just moves into the, you know, he doesn't sit there and go, these are my colors. Um, so you can use it or replicate it, but really, whenever I look at a painting tutorial, I don't go out and buy all those colors. No. It's, it's like, strange. I look out and go, all right, for Kador, I want a deep red, and then I want a light red, or maybe I want a deep this or a light this, and I look through the paints I have, because I have way too many, and rather <laughs> than go out and spend ten more dollars on new paint, I just use what I got. Um, so yeah, it's a great video. Um, I want to say if there's anything else. He's just he's a really well-rounded painter. Like he just and, oh, I'll say one other thing about him. Uh, he's, he used to do commission work, um, and he mentioned yeah, that in his video a couple times. He does. But he got out of it uh, because <laughs> he feels like he loved the hobby and it kind of burned him out. Yeah, he get, um, I think he accepted some projects that were just overwhelming. Yeah, but and he mentioned something like forty Space Marines, which I don't think is an overwhelming project, but. When you're painting 40 Marines and you're also a full-time teacher mm -hmm. and you have, like, a family, that could be a lot. Like, yeah. that could be quite... I mean, you just started a new job recently, so you know what it's like to try to yeah. balance paint life and, and real life. So It's, it's not easy, but... It's not easy. This, uh... Another thing, I mean, this is a quick video. It's 12 minutes long. He also goes into basing, which is cool. That's yeah. something a lot of... I don't see a lot of he good digs out. On. He dug out his base and basically, like, used it like a, a swamp or, like, a hollow, mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me I yeah. thought that was really cool what he doesn't show is I think that he would have had to have mounted that base on something else because the P3 bases are actually because I use them all the time mm -hmm. they're, they are hollow beneath there so it's okay. like it, to go under there he probably had to mount that on something like a piece yeah. of plastic card or something but he doesn't show that and there's some parts of the video that he kind of glosses through mm -hmm. which I appreciate because I don't need everything like I don't need every single detail I want to sort of get the, the gist of his technique mm -hmm. um, but yeah he's a really solid painter I really like him a lot um, let's move on to product review. Uh, so this is the segment of the show where we talk about something uh, that is related to what we're talking about today. Uh, because we covered so much of Washington and highlighting last week and we didn't really co co cover much of shadowing, I thought we would talk about the pastels that Andrew uses in his video. Mm -hmm. um, so pastels, first off, when you hear the term pastel, what do you think of, like off the top of your head? Um, well, I've worked that with pastels, okay. so I'm... Pretty familiar with them. I mean, it's a very soft. Yeah. It's almost like a crayon, but it's it's a definitely a better uh, pigment. There's really no binder to it though. It just right. kind of crumbles. Right. So it's like it's very, almost like a, like a chalk is a good way to sort. Yeah. But but so soft. Very. Yeah. Right. And it's a lot of the time you're paying based on how soft it is. The yeah. more soft, the more expensive it is. So. 
Uh, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it tends to be the pro- the, huh. the process. So, but it allows for a really nice blending. Yeah. So that sure. was that's the purpose behind it. But. One of the nice things about it is whenever I see pastels, they are like you said, they're very soft. They're very almost kind of neutral in color. Like they're soft blues, soft reds. You might think of them like baby blues, baby mm-hmm. reds, baby greens. Yeah. Um, so they're 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 great, and the pigments are usually pretty concentrated they're strong yeah um so um the on the product review i didn't actually pick out any specific pastels that i loved because i don't think when you first get started you should buy a set of like 80 dollar pastels okay. and they have them yeah. you should buy a, pa- a set of like 10 dollar pastels or 20 dollar pastels because you want to experiment with them and the nice thing about the sets that i'm linking to here is that first off you get like a dozen colors so mm-hmm. you get red blue green yellow all that sort of stuff and what Andrew did in the video, which I thought was great, is he, he, he says he breaks it down and uses it like pigment. He doesn't show you how to do that, so he shows it kind of being crumbled. Mm-hmm. I use a mortar, mortar and pestle, um, which is a traditional like apothecary tool. And you can yeah. get at any food line for like five bucks. Just ground it down. Just and, ground it down. Yeah. You could use anything, but I like the mortar and pestle because I can get it very, very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also am providing a link to gray tone pastels because I thought this would be really cool. And by gray tones, they mean like shades of white, shades of gray, shades of black. And I thought this would be really cool for like working shadows into models that mm-hmm. are, you know, instead of just black wash, work in a gray, work in a white, work yeah. in an off white. Like I thought that'd be really neat. Um, so we're providing links to both of those. Both of these are on Michael's website, Michael's the art and hobby store. So you can you can buy them in your local store for about. 12 bucks a pop. Um, and then the mortar and pestle, um, this is actually a stainless steel mortar and pestle. Mm. And, the, and the reason I'm suggesting this one is because I have a wooden one, but the wood absorbs all of the other colors. So anytime I put a new pigment in there, I inevitably get a little bit of leftover pigment from the last time. Uh, and you can't truly wash it because it's wood. Yeah, You can wash it, but there's still a little bit down in the cracks. So I recommend stainless steel. It's a little bit more. Um, the link to this one is about 20 bucks. But it's never going to go bad. You're going to buy it one time your whole life. So make it a deal. Buy a nice one. Don't do what I do and buy the $5 food line one. Get get an actual decent mortar and pestle. Um, Okay, well, that takes us through basically our show. Um, We're going to jump into our our next to last segment, which is our one-minute rant. Mm. Um, I'm going to let you start this off this week. Do you (laughs) have... Just so I can say... Do you have a rant? Last time you didn't have a rant. (laughs) That's good. And I know our yep. listeners were pissed at that. Uh, the comments were filled with rage. No Apparently, the hundred <laughs> people that download our show do not like to comment. Guess not. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what would get them to comment. We should rant on no comments. Yeah, you guys are terrible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I don't know. I, I just haven't had a lot of uh, anger with uh, with anything recently. You're just you're too you're too passive. I, I, need, so. I need the equivalent of a shock jock in here. <laughs> like, we need a third person, and they need to be a shock jock, and they just need to, like, scream shit. <laughs> like, wow! Like, you know, fuck it! And, like, you know, like, on the Howard Stern show, you're, like, the girl who's just really <laughs> nice. You know, the nice black girl. I don't know what um, I am not the Howard Stern. I'm, like, the fat guy that, that he occasionally <laughs> brings in to do random shit. So we need the Howard Stern of this show. Um... So if there's anyone out there who's interested in co-hosting and who is angry, uh, message us at uh, warcouncil at whitemillionews.com. Oh, please. Um, All right. Well, I do have a rant this week uh, because I'm an angry motherfucker. Um, So um, 
My rant is on dream clients, or specifically dreamer clients. And what I mean by that is clients that have high hopes but no budget to support it. So I'm going to put a minute on the clock, and here we go. So what the hell, dreamer clients, I don't understand. I had a client who emailed me a couple days ago, and they came to me with this incredible quote for a Russian army from the Napoleonic era. It was a historical army. It was going to be amazing. But it was like 500 figures. It was like 150 cavalry. It was like 300 infantry. It was like 50 cannons. And the guy sent me like a pretty detailed email about what he wanted, the way he wanted it done, the conversion process for it. So I was like, this guy's got his shit together. Like he knows what he wants. And he told me like, these are the names of the models. He's like, here's the company. Because there's a billion different historicals out there. Yeah. Like, if you look for historical Russian cavalry, you're going to find the motherload. There's like 80 different manufacturers. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I want this guy from this line. I want these models from this line. I want 180 of these guys from this line. And so I took my time. I was like, this guy is going to be, this is my golden egg for winter. I was like, he's going to take me through all of January, February, March, maybe into spring. So I took my time. I worked out the quote. I found good prices on all of the stuff out there online. I put it together in a nice quote. I cut them 10% off my labor price because I was like, you know what? This is a huge quote. By the time it was said and done, $12,000 was this quote. That's after the discount. Now, bear in mind, my biggest quote to date was about eight or 9,000. So this is 25% more than my biggest quote ever. And that quote, which we're currently working on, is basically three armies combined. So it's like not it's it's not really like one army. This is one. I think he was basically trying to make the entire Russian army. So, <laughs> needless to say, I spent about four hours on this quote. It was a massive part of my day. Like a huge amount of time went into sort of reverse engineering this quote, yeah. looking for the materials, finding links, justifying it, sent it over to him. Less than thirty minutes later, I got an email back. That's too much. I didn't realize it'd be that much. I think I might not do this. Probably not now, maybe never, ever. And that was it. Like, it was something like that. And I emailed him back to say, hey, you know, I understand it's a big quote. It's a lot to consider. But, you know, uh, we could do a smaller portion of it. We could do, like, 100 models or 10 models to get you started just to see how you like the commission process. So who the fuck thinks that 500, 600 models is going to be cheap? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, who the fuck thinks that I have... First off, I don't have four hours of my day to spend on mm-hmm. a quote that's going nowhere. I could have used that four hours to do on a client commission. Yeah. And secondly, even if you're being generous and you're like $10 a model, which would be insane, but like you're, you're not even accounting for the material cost. This is five, 600 models. Like... <sighs> I don't know. I don't either. So, dreamer clients, what the fuck? Get your acts together. Like, if you want to, if you want to be a client, have a budget in mind. Tell me that right off the bat. Say like, hey, my budget's a thousand dollars. So that when I see you have a thousand figures, I will tell you, I'm sorry, this is not going to work. There is no way I'm going to do your figures at a dollar a figure plus materials. It's just not going to happen. So, like, be honest with yourself. Like, be sincere about what your budget is, what your expectations are. That was way over a minute, but yeah. dreamer clients, what the hell? You made it for mine. I made it for yours. <laughs> so that takes us into our outro. We are out of here this week. Uh, it is early October. I think our next hot podcast will probably be something kind of Halloween themed, mm. something kind of fun for the holiday. Um, 
If you are one of our avid listeners, the hundred of you out there, please let us know what you're interested in hearing about in the future in the comments section. Or uh, you can check us out on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash warcouncil. Um, you can check out my page at facebook.com slash games or the traditional website, whitemetalgames.com. Uh, Philip, do you want to do a plug for Brushwork Menus? Sure. Uh, yeah, you can always check out Brushwork Menus on Facebook. Uh, no official website yet, but... Um, Camera is up and running, so you will have Yay, updated pictures. <laughs> yeah. I'm about to ask you about that. Yeah, so uh, I actually already snapped a bunch of pictures. I just need to upload them now. So. Good. It's funny when you don't think about this, but when you're a miniature painter, like, you rely on your camera a oh, yeah. lot. So when your battery <laughs> dies, you're like, oh, shit, my camera didn't do that. Um, yeah. And we had to order that battery pack from, like, I don't know where we got it from. It wasn't China, because we didn't want to wait a month. It was some, like, off. It was some, some random place. But. Um, anyway. Uh, okay, well that's it for this week. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. And I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And this has been War Council, which is a hobby podcast um, for miniature enthusiasts. And until next time, put your minis where your mouth is. Mm-hmm.